The following program is a presentation of Grace Communion International and Grace Communion Seminary and is made possible by generous donations from viewers like you. On this episode of You're Included, theologian Dr. Chris Kettler discusses salvation and the importance of relationships in life and evangelism. Our host is Dr. J. Michael Fizell. In your book, The Vicarious Humanity of Christ and the Reality of Salvation, what is the connection between the reality of salvation and the vicarious humanity of Christ? Well, it's part of a personal odyssey, I guess, uh, Mike, in the sense that I always try to think in terms of, well, where is, uh, where is the reality of Christ in the world today? Our world does not seem to be too Christ-like. It's filled with so much innocent suffering, needless war, strife. And so how can Christians meaningfully talk about salvation? And the more I thought about it, and particularly looking at it biblically, it seems to me that obviously it's in Christ. There's no salvation apart from Christ. But he's not just the means of salvation, he's the substance of salvation. That in looking to him is where the salvation is. Not looking at at. at at the church necessarily, not looking at political or, or, or religious forces in the world, but looking at him. So you're, when you say he is the substance of salvation, he is the salvation itself. Exactly, yeah. And how does that, how does that and, play and, out? And this is where the vicarious humanity of Christ becomes important in that it's in his response to the Father is the saving and atoning reality of salvation. That uh, around us is, 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 is so much chaos and so much that is less than salvation, that we only find a source of salvation when we look at him, and particularly at his humanity in which he provides the perfect and obedient response to the Father that we have been unable to present. Not just in paying the penalty for our sins, although he does that, but in the entirety of his life, in the entirety of his faith and obedience to the Father. That is for us, on our behalf, and it, it takes our place because we're not able to be that obedient. We're not able to be that faithful. And in him we see the reality of salvation, not in our own re- religiosity, our own spirituality, our own spiritual formation, not in the world's religions, not in, certainly not in political forces, but simply in him. Well, uh, most Christians think that salvation has to do with measuring up to a certain level of uh, morality or righteousness or holiness that that's what salvation is. It's a goal right. to achieve by measuring up to a, to a certain level of obedience. So you're saying that's not what it is. No, that, that ends up bypassing Jesus Christ himself. Because often we say, yes, we confess Jesus is Lord, he's God, and he is. But we forget that he is truly human. And in his humanity, he was perfectly faithful and obedient to the Father. And in that movement of faithfulness, that was an atoning movement for us in our place. He lives the life, in other words, that we have been unable to live. So salvation shouldn't be seen as just a goal for me and to be religious and good. Quite the contrary. It's a goal that Jesus Christ has already done for us, that he invites us to enter in by his grace through the power of the Spirit and to participate in his faith and obedience. That's where the reality of salvation is, not in me and my religiosity and my spirituality. And that's where we often go astray, I think. In the New Testament, and in Paul, you find the term in Christ, exactly, being in right. Christ dozens of times. Right. What, is, what is he driving at? That for Paul, uh, 
what other, other theologians have called union with Christ, was at the center of his theology. Some people suggest it's not justification by faith, that is the center of Paul's theology, but union with Christ. James Stewart was a Scottish scholar of a previous generation and wrote a wonderful book about Paul, simply entitled A Man in Christ. A Man in Christ. And what that means is that it's a location, it's a place, that where Paul saw himself was not in Rome, not in Jerusalem, not in the needless suffering and in the sin and the evil of the Roman Empire, but located in Christ. So then he could go out into that empire and bear witness to Christ. And uh, through that reality uh, that uh, salvation came to people uh, in the midst of a world that so often uh, appears to be so lost. So when we say Christ became human for us, we don't mean he just did something that then we take to ourselves if we choose to. Right. What he did transformed us. He actually, the passage of, um, in John, uh, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men right. to myself. That's reality. Right. And uh, there's that union with Christ that's already happened. That is a part of the uh, gift of grace. That's what grace is about. Grace isn't just a, uh, an infusion of some spiritual power. Uh, it's the reality, the person of Jesus Christ himself, taking our place, taking our place in all of our attempts to be good religious and moral people. When we realize that we can't be religious enough, we can't be moral enough, and we do not have the answers. That's only in abiding in Christ. And that's why Christ talks about the abide, abide in me, remain in me. That's all part of this being located in Christ motif, which is all throughout the New Testament. So union with Christ is a reality. And like you say in the title of the book, The Vicarious Humanity of Christ and the Reality of Salvation, we're not talking about like what we often get, at least I did growing up at church, you get a sense of you need to get in step with Christ so that you can be on the road right, to salvation. Yeah. You're talking about a, a union with Christ that, that Paul and John are writing about that, that is already true. Already true. Already a reality. And that's what's and we're participating with what yeah. is, not, participate, yeah. not trying to bring about something. Yeah, we think in terms of potential, not, not actuality. The gospel is about actuality, not just about potential, possibility. But we always think in terms of possibility and potential and uh, the potential to be a, 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 a good Christian, a potential for salvation. But the actuality is already there in Christ, a reality that, uh, that what we need to respond to is to respond to the reality, to the actuality, and not try to uh, bring it in ourselves. And that's, isn't that why the gospel is good news as opposed exactly, to yeah. hopeful, possible if you do well enough yeah, news. Right, and, and that, that just becomes a curse upon people and uh, becomes a burden that uh, is unbearable. You're director of the Master of Arts in Christian Ministry program at Friends University right. in Wichita. What are some of the newer challenges your students are facing in their work in Christian ministry? Well, many challenges in the postmodern context in which there's so much change taking place in the church and in the world. In terms of spiritual formation, for example, the church is awakened to the need to be intentional about the Christian life without being legalistic. And uh, so our students want to become those that can equip others 
in spiritual formation. So one, one of our most uh, popular uh, uh, tracks in our program is our track in spiritual formation, which we have courses in, in spiritual direction and uh, biblical and historical and theological foundations of spirituality, relationship of spirituality and ministry. And to be able to equip people for that in the everyday um, uh, workaday world and not just equip them to become monks, as was the case in, uh, for centuries. If you're really going to be a spiritual person, you become a monk or a nun or something like that. And today's movement in spiritual formation realizes that that's the, uh, the, uh, the privilege of all Christians. But it's, it's new kind of language, and it's, it's easy to go into a, a new kind of legalism. Uh, the old legalism was don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do <laughs> or go to movies or something like that. Uh, the new legalism could become uh, make sure you do all the spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. prayer, Bible reading, fasting, and the click, you know. Mm-hmm. But the best teachers of spiritual disciplines are those who say that they're not to be a burden of legalism, but an opportunity to increase your experience of this union with Christ, to uh, develop this love relationship with God, and uh, not simply, as Ray Anderson says, spiritual this was, uh, shouldn't be seen as just bodybuilding, uh, but as preparing for ministry and for uh, Christian life. Uh, it's not to be seen as an end in itself, as often has been the case. But that's a, that's, that's a challenge. And uh, there are challenges, I think, along the lines of uh, just being a Christian in the world and equipping people to do that in terms of uh, our program. We're fortunate to have a format that has a great number of lay people in it. We meet one night a week. And uh, it's a two-year program. They, they take one course at a time. So they can, they can integrate the theology and biblical studies and what else they're learning in the classroom with what they're doing in the world, in their job and in their family and in their church throughout the rest of the, of, of the week. And I think there's a great hunger for that, but not many good models out there on how to do that. Uh, often traditional seminary and theological education is just to Train someone to be a pastor, and that's it. Mm. Well, that, that has changed, I think. I think we realize in our multitasking culture even, uh, the terror and the burden of being a multitasking pastor, a pastor who's expected to have all the gifts of the body of Christ. But fortunately, the church has awakened to the importance of different spiritual gifts and seen increasingly that should be true for leadership. There, there will be some that have gifts for counseling, but maybe not gifts for preaching. Uh, and I think there needs to be a new model of, of staff um, uh, ministry. And in a way, our, our little program is, has responded to that in, in providing different tracks, spiritual formation, biblical studies, family ministry, contemporary worship and the arts that meet uh, particular gifts, realizing that no Christian leader is able to have all the gifts that we u- used to expect a typical pastor to have. And hopefully that will free pastors out up to... Uh, uh, use the gifts that God has given them and not try to be the entire body of Christ themselves. Uh, just as an aside, Friends University is not just, it's not a, a Friends denominational right. it's, it's, it's not controlled university. by the Quakers. It was started by the Friends in 1898, but it hasn't been officially Quaker since the 30s. It's an interdenominational Christian university. I'm Presbyterian. We have Baptists, Lutherans, Methodists, you name it, on our faculty and certainly among our students. Uh, who uh, represent every denomination, race, gender, uh, clergy, lay. We have quite a diversity within a common Christian uh, commitment. Getting back to uh, what you were saying before about one of the, one of the courses and uh, living out your Christianity 
yeah. in everyday life. Let, let's talk about that a little bit. You work in an office. You go to your office every day. What are some of the ways that you live out your Christianity in the office? For me, it's got to begin with my colleagues and my students. And for all of us, we can talk about how much you know we should love the world. But it's first of all, to love your neighbor means literally your neighbor, the person you're in proximity with. Uh, Carl Bart has a wonderful section in his Church Dogmatics on neighbors near and far <laughs> in his ethics. And he takes very seriously that love needs proximity. And uh, I think he uses those words, love needs proximity. And therefore, my first responsibility is to that faculty colleague that maybe we don't get along on every issue. In fact, maybe we're violently opposed to each other on some big a faculty issue, which is not big to anyone else except us. Well, he's the person I'm called to love, or that student, uh, the student that uh, just seems to be rather cantankerous over every great idea I, ha I have, um, and that uh, is difficult to relate to. And I think we can transfer this to all of us, whether we be in, in the workplace and in, in the family, the importance of love needing proximity. And the church needs to see our, ourselves increasingly to equip people for that. There's no use in making broad generalizations about the world and social concern and evangelism if we can't equip people to love those we're near to. Then we can begin to take one step beyond. That to me is a practical Christianity that we need very much to cultivate and, and, and develop. And I think it's what we see in the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus. Uh, St. Francis said, uh, always preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. And uh, a lot of times, Christians make themselves odious on the job or on the softball team or right. whatever by constantly wanting to evangelize everybody who, without living out. I, I think, don't we sometimes have like a, a, like a line we draw? And up here is spiritual life. Down here is day-to-day -day mundane right, exactly. life. And so we think if we're going to be a Christian anywhere, we've got to do spiritual things like ask people if they love Jesus and yeah. bring out you know, a pamphlet or something or a tract and try to go over it with them during the lunch hour, forgetting that Christ incorporate has, it's all of life, everything, and that loving a person isn't, confronting them over things they're not prepared for, but exactly. loving them like friends love friends and being a regular human being, like Christ was everywhere he went. Which was the first movement of the incarnation, of solidarity with sinners and publicans. Jesus sitting at table with sinners and publicans. And it's that first movement of presence, uh, rather than simply uh, uh, bowling them over with words. Yes, the words came later on, but the first movement of the gospel is solidarity. The second movement is being conformed to the image of his son. And that really is what, what I call the double movement of the incarnation, uh, of, of a God word, of a God to human beings movement, and from human beings to God. And uh, it's very theological, it's very much the incarnation, but it's very much related to what the, I think the presence of Christians in the world. The first have that movement of solidarity, friendship, relationship and to be able to earn that right to, to uh, speak the word. 
or else the words become just chattering. And they become what Thomas Torrance calls uh, the, the devastating effect of dualistic thinking in our society, uh, uh, separating uh, the words, the actual speech, from the word, Jesus Christ. We think, we think if we just have the, the language going on, it's okay. No, but Christ may not be with that language unless we bring them together at the right time, led by the Spirit. And being always contains the gospel, whereas right. words don't always, even though they may mouth the Exactly. Right they tone. can just be chattering speech rather than uh, the reflection of, of, of God's presence. And also, that's, that's, often, that's always the temptation of religion, and unfortunately Christianity can get into that as well. Be dehumanizing. It's the opposite of the incarnation, which is the ultimate humanizing action, which God takes upon our humanity, humanizing us. Uh, but often we treat people in a dehumanizing religious way. Right. And we forget that Jesus uh, came and, and his, his greatest critics were the religious people of his time. And uh, religion has an insidious temptation for Christians uh, that we have to constantly uh, check ourselves against. Mm. Because uh, the world will give us that religious niche. Yeah, we can give religious people be over here in the corner, and we can do our own little thing and have our own little barriers and, and uh, context in which we accept, accept people. But it's when we actually say that, that, that the word became flesh that embraces culture, that uh, uh, does not simply destroy culture, that that can be threatening to the world. But it's also, they're, they're threatened by love, by genuine love and presence and acceptance. That's when the gospel becomes the most revolutionary, I think. To people, and it, it, all of us who have experienced Christ have experienced something like that. I think it's just sad that too often the church presents a, another face. The gospel is bound up in friendship, isn't it? I mean, it, with it, when you see a, a true friendship, there is Christ at work, yeah. even though the, the words may not be used. After all, there is no good thing that doesn't come from God. Uh, people can respond uh, to you as a Christian once you're already their friend. And, and I, a lot of Christians yeah, are afraid to make right. friends. They, outside, that's they'll be friends with people at church, yeah, but right. they're afraid to actually have real friendships for the sake of the friendship. Yeah, because they have this dualism between the yeah. religious and the secular world, which is tragic, and that the incarnation says something very different. Jesus yeah. sat at table with sinners and publicans. And uh, he risked himself that he would uh, not be considered to be the perfect religious person. He took the risk of love. And Christians need to take that risk in, in associating with people, making friends, as you say, in the world, not be afraid to do that. And realize that's a part of a Christian is to take those risks. And we can do so, as Jesus did, because he constantly was in dependence upon the Father. Now, if we're, if we're not in dependence upon the Father, we can just become changed by the world. And we shouldn't make any bones about it. The world will change us if, if we allow it. But in dependence upon the Father, Jesus was then able to sit at table with sinners and publicans. And that's when the gospel made became so life-changing because there was an integration of word and presence in the very person of Jesus. And the church later on uh, was the most successful when it bore witness to that 
that reality and didn't live that dualistic uh, existence that uh, religion so so often tempts people to get into. It seems like that that dualistic approach can become can turn people into a project. In other words, you say, "Well, my neighbor or, or this fellow at work, I want to present the gospel to him. Therefore, I'll." in essence, pretend to be his friend. Of course, really, I'll try to be friends with him, but I'm not doing it because he's worth befriending or because I want to make a friend of him. It's because I want to do my gospel sales job at the end. It's so phony, and uh, people catch that. That's what's so ironic about it. And Most people say, well, it's obvious you're not interested in me. I'm just a potential convert for you. I'm a non-Christian. What terrible language. You right. need to talk, stop talking about non-Christians. No, these right. are men and women, boys and girls, who are made in the image of God, who are loved already by Jesus Christ. And if everybody and, is being drawn to Christ, because, as he said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw them into yeah. myself, we're all on that journey. Exactly. Some have come to the place on the journey where they have uh, come to know Christ in a personal way. But everybody else is also on the right. journey, whether they've come to that particular point or not. One of my best friends uh, is a, a Jewish agnostic poet of some renown. And that relationship has been an interesting gift from God, as it's reminded me of our shared humanity in Jesus Christ, even though he is not aware of it yet. Uh, that's the only difference. And uh, through that, that friendship, that uh, that's the best witness I can give to him. Now, do we have disagreements about major issues of values? <laughs> you better believe it. Is it difficult at times for me? Yes. And but uh, the Lord constantly reminds me this is this is the kind of genuine evangelism that's based upon accepting people for who they are, uh, seeking to be their friend, and uh, let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Mm-hmm. We forget about the place of the Holy Spirit in evangelism. Jesus said very plainly, plainly that the Spirit will testify of me. And uh, the Spirit works with our hearts. And evangelism isn't our project. Um, and uh, friendship is important. Jesus said, I, I no longer call you servants, mm. but friends. Mm. And the Quakers have it right there. <laughs> we need to take that seriously. And that friendship is not just among the religious people or the church or the congregation or denomination, but among the entirety of humanity. The Word became the flesh of all human beings, all men and women, boys and girls. And friendships, all relationships, are are not static. They are up and down and and messy. And all we have to do is look at Jacob and his walk with God was just all very messy, sometimes close, sometimes selfish, sometimes greedy. God is always faithful on his side. We're not on our side. And yet, he keeps us as his friends anyway. Yeah. And Abraham's walk, he's father of the faithful, and yet some major examples of lack of faith are, are, are in Scripture are attributed to Abraham. Right. David, uh, you name it. Uh, there's, all the walks are, are, are messy. And our own, a little honesty, shows us that our own walk with God is, is a messy one. Which is a powerful witness in itself. If I'm honest about who I am, I, I'm not trying to cover up my, my failures and, and weaknesses. If I'm trying to be too much of a perfect goody-goody Christian, then that, that just communicates phoniness in the first place anyway. 
but when I communicate my own weakness, my own doubts, as I talk about in the book, that makes the gospel more real to people who haven't accepted Christ yet. And that's why I think theology needs to do in, in addressing those things like doubt and despair, loneliness, anxiety, those universal human uh, uh, issues of existential crisis, uh, and realize the gospel, the word of uh, becoming flesh goes deeply into those, those issues, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, uh, and, and speaks deeply at uh, our problems that, that uh, all of us share. Issues of real life as opposed exactly. to uh, some uh, plastic, fake, pretend yeah. idealism that we like to put forward right. while we're at church. Yeah, and the, the, the religious issues of you know, when the tribulation will take place is obviously uh, silly compared to yeah. questions of despair and anxiety and loneliness. Just think of, our, of, a, of a world that is so lonely and, uh, and that we don't really see the implications of the gospel for that loneliness. And we're, we're talking about you know, when the millennium might come. That's, that's a silly. And that's been a fault of, of the church and the theologians. The theologians need to address these yeah. existential issues. Yeah. But the church also needs to think about these existential issues theologically according to the gospel and not just according to a pop psychology. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to do in these, these books I'm, I'm working on, The God Who Believes, and the next one, The God Who Rejoices, on joy and despair. How can we have joy in the midst of despair? Right. What is joy? Uh, how does the gospel speak to the despair in yeah. life? Uh, and and that's, that's where the gospel makes a difference. And that's the whole point of Trinitarian theology, a theology of, that focuses on who God is in relationship of love. God is love, Father, Son, and Spirit loving one another, bringing humanity and Christ into that love relationship. Exactly. That is where real life is touched as opposed to just some kind of list of things, of religious things to do or don't do or things to believe and not believe. Right. It's real living in Christ, as Paul said. Yeah, the, the Trinity really is, as one book puts it, consists of, is concerned of persons in communion. It's a book by Alan Torrance, Persons in Communion. That's a beautiful title. Because that's what the Trinity is about, uh, that, that God is in relationship himself. And therefore, he's concerned about those relational issues in our lives, in our families, with spouses, with sons and daughters, in society, between issues between races, issues of reconciliation. Um, the gospel is relational, but it's not a pipe, pop psychology just a uh, feel nice, warm, and fuzzy about each other, but really getting at the, the bedrock of who we are. And so the gospel addresses us at the, at the deepest level and the widest expanse of our humanity. And so the next book I'll be working on is, is uh, The God Who Answers on uh, the implications of the vicarious humanity of Christ for creation and also our understanding of humanity. Um, who do we understand human beings to be? Uh, do we understand them according to our self-understanding? Uh, that's pretty limited. Or does Jesus Christ and his humanity tell us something about what it means to be human? And, and especially at those issues of, of, great, uh, of great concern and existential crisis like uh, doubt and despair and loneliness. And life seems to be made of uh, small spaces 
in between doubt and despair yeah. and loneliness. Yeah, exactly. And we often avoid them. They're too difficult to deal with. I think that's often another problem that theology has is that even in the church that uh, people assume these are issues uh, that are too difficult to deal with. Nobody has the answers, so I'm just not going to think about them. It could be God. It could be who Jesus Christ is. It could be my own loneliness, my own despair, my own anxiety, my own dealing with my, my death. Uh, so I'm not, just not going to think about them. And, uh, and so we simply uh, turn on the TV or the uh, video game or the cell phone, uh, you name it. We have so many technological gadgets today that keep ourselves off, our, our minds off our own dilemma, and therefore, and also off God. Um, this is what Kierkegaard called unconscious despair. <laughs> there's one despair of being depressed about losing your job, for example, and it definitely is an occasion for despair. But there's another kind of despair, which is not knowing you're in despair. And Kierkegaard, a great uh, Danish theologian, uh, calls this unconscious despair. And this is what uh, is the most dangerous despair, Kierkegaard says, because it doesn't recognize the despair we have that is lying within, uh, that we try to mask over with activities to stay busy. And some of the worst culprits are people in the church, keeping busy with church activities, committees, projects, you name it. So we don't have to look at ourselves and also not to look at God. That's what Kierkegaard calls unconscious despair. I think he's very perceptive there. And, but we need to see that the gospel addresses us at our deepest and widest point. And this is where Christ, taking upon the entirety of our humanity, including our fears and our anxieties and loneliness and despair, becomes so important. You've been watching You're Included, a production of Grace Communion International.